And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And uh, welcome to the hump day edition of The Real Investment Show. It is Rocky the Raccoon Rescue Day. Animal Control has decided they will show up this morning uh, to uh, rescue Rocky. He's still alive, apparently, because I got home from work yesterday and both my dogs decided to take everything out of the fireplace to try to you know, make sure that uh, you know, he's, he's okay in there. So I walked into the house yesterday. Of course, we, my wife has this very expensive white carpet in our living room that is now uh, covered in soot, footprints, and... Uh, <laughs> A variety of other fireplace accoutrements, as they say. So, I wondered how long it was going to be before the dogs got in. <laughs> well, on they, the they, that was yesterday while yeah. I was at work. So, uh, anyway, today uh, is not only cleanup day, but is also rescue the Rocky the Squirrel Day. So, well, a Rocky Raccoon Day. So, we'll, we'll get that taken care of. <laughs> anyway, so now you're up to date with my latest saga. Um, Yesterday, markets uh, broke the 50-day moving average. We're going to talk about that uh, a bit more this morning as we do our market update. Um, but a few other things going on. Yesterday, retail sales were exceptionally strong. Uh, came in at, at, at 1% yesterday at the headline number, uh, 0.7 at the core. And so, again, that was kind of really the reason for the sell-off yesterday was because this exceptionally strong retail sales number says, well, nothing's slowing down right now. In fact, the Atlanta Fed GDP is now forecasting a 5% growth rate for the economy in the third quarter. Now, let's put this into context. 5% growth in the economy, very, very strong retail sales. That means that inflation is still present at this point. And, and so, you know, this is going to keep the Fed kind of intact for being focused on fighting inflation rather than potentially cutting rates. And so that was the reason for the sell-off yesterday was this idea that eh, the Fed may not be able to cut anytime soon here, especially with that kind of data keeps coming in. Now, sure, there's some anomalies uh, that always occur in the uh, July retail sales report because it's back to school shopping. You also have Amazon Prime Day that also kind of uh, you know fosters in into higher retail sales numbers, but nonetheless, it was a very strong number. Suggests the consumer is not slowing down at all right now. Uh, doesn't suggest that the impact from higher rates is being felt as much as had been expected at this point. That means that of course inflation is probably not coming down uh, anytime soon further, right? So we may, we've come down from 9% to 3% on inflation, but you know, we may be stuck here for a bit. Uh, one of the things that, it, that, you know, a lot of people are starting to ask the question about is whether or not the Fed raises its inflation target. Now you remember that when the Fed first announced their rate hikes, they said, our goal is to hike rates until there's a clear trajectory of inflation back towards our inflation target of 2%. Now people are starting to ask the question, are they going to raise that to 3% and say, okay, well, we're good at 3, uh, so as long as we're at 3%, we're okay. So that's kind of the hope that, okay, if we're at 3%, then the Fed can cut rates again. That's probably not going to be the case, but again, we'll see what they say at Jackson Hole in the next week or so, because, you know, this is going to be the big question for the markets is this whole, you know, yields versus inflation versus economic growth 
recession. You know, what happened to the recession call last year? It never occurred. So again, this, this, these are all the questions coming out, but certainly right now, the economic data does not suggest that there's a recession anywhere present or that inflation is under control yet. So again, this, you know, this is going to keep the Fed pretty much focused on at least maintaining interest rates where they are, but also potentially, you know, may need another rate hike or two uh, from the Fed if we don't start to see this, these kind of economic data points start to slow down to make sure inflation is under control. Now today, we have the FOMC minutes. So the markets are gonna be focusing closely on what was said in the minutes of the last meeting. Now, again, these aren't real meeting minutes, by the way. These are carefully crafted and tailored notes from the meeting, right? But again, you know, normally meeting minutes has, you know, what everybody said, good, bad, and different. Well, you're gonna see a carefully crafted set of notes that are coming out from that meeting. But again, it'll be carefully analyzed to, to, to see really what the tenor of the Fed is. Is the Fed leaning more towards cutting rates or are they leaning more towards hiking rates? This is going to be the hotly debated thing after the, the minutes are released this afternoon. But again, this all comes back down to, you know, ultimately, what does this mean for the markets? Because, you know, again, this, you know, higher rates of inflation suggest higher interest rates. That's certainly not good for long duration assets. So stocks should be correcting in that environment. But again, we just had five of the strongest months that we've seen in quite some time for the markets in, the, in this rally. So here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Yesterday, the market did break the 50-day moving average. Now, a one-day break of the 50-day moving average is not a be-all, end-all. So don't go out and sell a bunch of stuff today just because we broke the 50-day. Here's what's important about that. The market needs to recover that 50-day moving average by the end of the week. So again, you can break below it, but as long as we get back above it, we're okay. If the market fails to get above the 100-day moving average, then the next logical kind of support level is going to be right around the 100-day moving average, which is currently around 4270 on the, um, on the S&P 500 index. Uh, markets are getting a bit oversold here. Now, uh, again, you know, we talk about this MACD sell signal, and this is important because this is kind of what drives that ebb and flow of the markets. So we're getting back to the level that normally the market kind of bottoms uh, you know, for the MACD. So the MACD oscillation is getting back to levels that normally exist during bullish markets. Now again, when we get in a bullish market, the markets are trending bullishly, these oscillations are a lot smaller. When you're in a bear market, kind of that correction period we had last year, those oscillations are a lot deeper. So we're now back into a point to where these oscillations in the, in the MACD, this uh, you know, buy signal, sell signal type oscillation, is occurring at a level. So again, that MACD is getting down to a level where normally markets are getting oversold enough to now generate a buy signal for the next rally. Again, we could slop around here for a little bit more. The MACD could go a little bit lower here. That wouldn't be surprising. Um, we are getting fairly oversold on a short-term basis as well. So again, uh, you know, we've kind of getting this market kind of set up here for at least a, a rally for a couple of days, just kind of a relief rally after the bout of selling that we've had. Again, then what would happen from there is going to be kind of the next question. You know, can this market rally back to new highs, continue its trend, or do we have more consolidation? My expectation right now is a bit more consolidation in the markets over the course of the next couple of weeks. 
maybe into September, and then we get set up for that October, November, December rally kind of into the end of the year. And that would also align with kind of normal seasonal tendencies of how markets trade. Um, outside of that, if we take a look at the Qs, very much, you know, kind of the same picture we're seeing in the NASDAQ as well. Took out the 50-day moving average. That oscillation also, again, in the MACD sell signal getting to a level that's kind of more normal for a sell-off in the NASDAQ. Uh, small cap, mid caps, uh, when we get into uh, you know, to that range, that's a very different story from large caps. Large caps have done very well this year, you know, uh, the NASDAQ, the S&P 500. Uh, mid cap, small cap stocks have really gone not anywhere. Um, but again, we are kind of taking out some of these levels uh, on the markets here. You know, mar- uh, the MACD sell signal still in place here. Took out the 50-day moving average, very much the same as the large cap and small uh, mid cap and NASDAQ. Um, support is, you know, not too far below where uh, mid cap, small caps are currently trading, uh, getting fairly oversold. So again, it's the same story where you look at S&P 500, the NASDAQ, mid cap, small caps, it all kind of look the same right now, breaking those initial levels of support at the 50 day, need to recover that, um, hold there and consolidate a bit, or we're going to get a little bit more of a sell off as we go into later this month or September. Uh, but that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back, we'll pick up with Danny Ratliff. Got a lot of stuff to talk about. Interest rates, CDs, where's the best place to put money, why I'm buying bonds, all that coming up on this uh, morning's edition of The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Welcome back to the show this morning. So futures uh, about flat this morning. Uh, SP's down about three right now. But again, uh, as we get closer to the open, uh, we'll start to see that kind of shore up a bit. Uh, this morning, we've got housing starts, building permits, kind of another look at the housing market, um, which is showing some signs of life, actually. So uh, starting to see some improvement there. Uh, industrial production, capacity utilization, you know, as the economy starting to kick back off. We've talked about before is that, you know, this these economic data cycles, we're getting very long into the tooth of a down cycle in that economic data. So start to expect to see, um, and again, we saw this with retail sales yesterday, these better than expected numbers. Uh, so you can start to kind of expect this, and this is going to, uh, you know, kind of be a, a process that we go through again, just, you know, as we wrote about last week's article talking about market and economic cycles, we're just very long into a current down cycle. So you're going to start to just see some improvement, even if just it's just based on year over year comparisons, you'll start to see improvement in that data. So again, we'll, we'll get some more data out today. And then of course, the, as I said earlier, kind of the, the, the focus of today will be the FOMC minutes from the last meeting. Uh, where they hiked rates by a quarter point. Uh, what was the consensus about further rate hikes? Was this kind of a one-and-done thing? Uh, that's really what everybody's going to be parsing those minutes for. Uh, so, again, that'll be kind of moving markets later on this afternoon. Um, outside of that, though, lots of other stuff going on. Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. Uh, he always gets lots of questions during the week, so um, lots of stuff to talk about. Also, Bob Dole asking uh, five questions about today's market. So, you know, I guess that's one of the... The big things, yeah. Bob Dole's always bullish, so <laughs> you know you almost guarantee that he's going to be expecting markets to go higher from here. 
What's he asking? What's his question? I've never seen him not actually somewhat bullish. Right, right. In what one way, shape, or form? It's always it's it's easier to be bullish all the time, right? Because bear markets are short, bull markets are long, so it's just easier to so be. You'll bullish. be right more often. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So we are getting lots of different questions. I think Bob Dole, you know, he came out at the beginning of the year with you know his top ten predictions of the market, and so really what you know they're thinking is okay. Does everything continue to line up in the sense of? You know, we've seen this great growth within, you know, what everybody would call the Magnificent Seven. Now we're beginning to see a little bit of a pullback in that area. Mm-hmm. Do you start to look at maybe more um, cyclically weighted types of indexes, like maybe an RSP, or looking at mid mid cap or other areas that could potentially outperform because they're not as highly valued at this time? Right. Well, I mean, uh, the, the you know we've been talking about seeing cyclical rotations in the markets anyway it's just a function that you know everybody was piling into a few stocks earlier this year and then now they're going oh look there's some value over there that i didn't get maybe those stocks will play catch up so everybody does the same thing right so everybody goes and chases the other stuff and so it starts to play catch up that's not surprising it's just kind of way markets work so what what about the bond market how correlated it is to equities at the moment right the higher we see yields that's typically not going to be you know, potentially good for the economy and the market in general. Mm-hmm. How does that line up? Well, I mean, you know, as we talked about in yesterday's article on, you know, interest rates and yields and, you know, debt and all those type of things is that when you talk about interest rates as a function, they negatively impact long duration assets. So who's right? Is the, is the bond market right at current yields or are stocks right? at current price levels. And this is the question that you've got to kind of figure out for yourself, because if you're betting that interest rates are going higher, you certainly don't want to be long stocks because of the negative impact of of interest rates on long duration assets. So you don't want to be in stocks if you're betting that interest rates are going to go higher. If you're betting on stocks going higher, then you have to be betting on lower yields as a function of that, because lower yields support long duration assets. So you've got to make your choice as to what you think is going to happen and then make your bets accordingly. Yeah. So we continue to hear more and more about a soft landing, especially as we continue to get data that's, you know, it's it's pretty much much more resilient than I think most anticipated. But we are getting conflicting data in other regions, right? China's beginning to slow down, which is in some ways helping the inflation front with cheaper prices in that aspect from what we're importing. But what about this soft landing narrative? I mean, we continue to hear about it. Um, you know, obviously, we're seeing inflation's been stickier, but do we have to get a recession to really get things back and kind of recalibrate back to normal? No, you, you don't. I mean, and the one thing that everybody kind of overlooks is that we just had a recession. Yeah. Right. So we just had a recession in 2020, and it's very rare to have you know recessions back to back to begin with. Um, it has happened before. We had back-to-back recessions back in the late 70s. They were, they were a couple of years apart. Um, but it was a very different environment back then in terms of you know what was going on with the oil embargo and a variety of other issues that were weighing on the economy. So you had these two very close recessions. But normally, you know, recessions occur about, you know, average about every eight years. So there's nothing out there that says we have to have another recession because we just went through one. So people kind of shut down spending. They did everything you would expect to do during a recession. Of course, we combated that with a tremendous amount of liquidity. And there's still, as, as we noted in yesterday's article, M2 as a percentage of GDP remains extremely elevated. So, you know, there's still so much money uh, and stimulus still floating around the markets 
and, and the economy at whole, it, it's not surprising that we continue to see more resilient numbers in the economic data. And again, we've been through a very, as I just said, we've been through a very long down cycle in this economic data as well. So you start seeing improvement in some of that data. Um, that's not going to be surprising, and that's going to continue to push out this recession narrative. And is it possible that we can avoid a recession? Absolutely. Is it likely? You know, I don't know if it's likely we, we avoid a recession entirely or not. I still suspect you have a, a very kind of soft recession or recession uh, in late 24, maybe early 25, as you kind of work through all this. One kind of caveat to this, and people are starting to finally debate this a little bit more, is the impact of, of the restart of student loan payments. Uh, that's going to be roughly $150 to $300 on 40 million people. So split the difference. You're talking somewhere, you know, 10 to $12 billion a month uh, in spending that doesn't get spent in the economy because it's got to go to pay off debt. So is that enough to slow down the economy? We'll find out. Yeah, I mean, very likely. So what about, you know, Moody's just recently downgraded a lot of banks, so their credit ratings were downgraded. A um, lot of concerns in those areas. And, you know, we've seen that in, in, you know, not just the banking sector, but others as well, especially as lending policies are becoming more stringent. Mm -hmm. But now the Fed's cash carries come, came out and said, hey, we're going to look at more banking regulation, especially on mid and small regional banks. Is this a buying opportunity? Are there going to be a lot of mergers and acquisitions? I mean, what do you see from there? No, I, I would be buying banks. Um, and we own we own a couple of small mid regional banks and we'll probably buy some more as we got kind of go along because again you know the banking system is pretty much the lifeblood of the economy so you know let me ask you a question are you going to stop banking no but i think people are beginning <laughs> to i think people are starting to look and say hey look you're gonna to have to pay me more to keep my funds in one spot right and in general i think that people mm -hmm. are very um prone and, not to move right right and, and who, big who, banks are banking on that right 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 but who who pays more for money regional banks or major money center banks well regional banks are yeah. but but at what expense? At some point, I mean, how bad do you mess up their profit margins because they have a lot of debt on the books that are it's very cheap. Mm -hmm. They're having to pay more and more to incentivize investors to, or, or depositors to keep money with them. This can't be something that can continue for long periods yeah, of time. There's, there's a lot of money in major money center banks that can move to regional banks and not yeah. really move the needle. Yeah. So uh, again, I wouldn't count small and regional banks. I mean, look, you have to do your research on any stock that you buy. And make sure that they're well collateralized and you know they don't have a lot of exposure but look you know the one thing that is still sitting out there too that is a concern is commercial real estate and you know a lot of small regional banks have small to mid regional banks have a lot of commercial real estate exposure so you have to really kind of figure that out a bit but again at the end of the day there's going to be winners and losers and there's going to be banks that fail and they're going to be absorbed by their banks just like we saw with silicon valley bank mm-hmm um, you know, so you try to pick some winners and that are going to be, you know, kind of the aggregators of other banks that go under. I think, yeah, things can materialize really quickly. So what do you say to somebody who says, all right, Lance, great. How do I find out how much commercial real estate somebody is dealing with? Like a look, bank. Look at their 10Q. Yeah. But how many people actually, know how to read that? Well, then, then you shouldn't be investing if you can't read a 10Q. I mean, it's not hard. Yeah. No, I hear you. <laughs> I mean, it's their financial statements pretty much laid out in it. But I think there's also maybe some stuff that's, that's underneath the surface that many people can't see in the sense of like how many loans are they, you know, which sectors, which industries. It's all in the book. It's with. all in the 10Q. No, but and everything's in the 10Q. No, everything's in the 10Q, <laughs> but you're not seeing, you know, some of the business risks that they're taking with other businesses. You can't right. you can't well, you tell know, that, right? Well, some, look, there's there's a risk to everything that you do. I can't tell what Mark Zuckerberg might do with Meta tomorrow. Yeah. Right? 
you know, I have to look at what he's done financially in the past or, you know, you know, I can't tell what Raytheon is going to do tomorrow, but I can look at what they've done in the past and make some pretty good assumptions about, you know, what trends of sales are going to be, what their average risk is relative to their debt, you know, those type of things. I mean, you can make some assumptions. There's no there's no guarantee of anything. That's why it's called risk based investing. You take a risk to put your money at, at, at work. Yeah. And you risk loss. And so, again, you try to make your best guesses that you can and then moderate your losses by, you know, if it's not working, you, you sell it and move on. So we touched briefly on this, but I want to step back real quick. So a lot of questions still around tech, right? Tech has been the big driver for the first half of the year. We talked about market breadth just being terrible. Now we're seeing a bit of a breather in that region or excuse me, sector. Is that something that, you know, you see people coming back to and that's still yeah. that AI driven oh, yeah. narrative for the rem remainder of the year. That's a function of passive. Yeah. You know, we, we just talked about this cap. before. I mean, you, you just, you're not going to get away from passive investing. There's too many people now that don't buy stocks. They buy ETFs. So every time you buy an ETF, you're just flooding money into Apple, Nvidia, Microsoft, Google, you know, those companies. So, you know, right now tech is selling off along with the rest of the market because you're just getting a broad rotation out of stocks at the moment. So, but when that returns and money starts coming back in, when you get your next buy signal, money comes back in, tech's going to lead the way because of the passive flows. Yeah, and, and, and that's just the new markets that we live in now. You know, so just buckle up because this is going to be the case for a while <laughs> until people figure it out. We'll be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com Back to the show this morning. Uh, new tune there from uh, Brent. So, yeah, no, great tune. Actually, that was sent in by a client, Sean Smith. We appreciate that. So, uh, thank you very much, um, longtime listener. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's a great little that's that's a great little lick right there. Man, that's some that's some good send, chops. I uh, Sean, send some more. We need we need more. So, yeah, send some more. As I understand it, he's playing all the instruments on this too, at the same time. Yes, he has eight arms. Oh, that's, that, Sean, that's talent right there, man. <laughs> no, it's really, that's really a good piece. Yeah. No, that is awesome. So, yeah, definitely send some more. We, we need it. Uh, we used to have this other guy that was very similar to that, uh, Leo. Leo Maraccioli. Yeah, um, who played all the instruments and made these great riffs, and we actually bought a license from him so we could use his music on the show, and Google says that we can't use his music because we don't have a license, even though we're standing here with a license, so just go figure that out. Thank you, Google. We appreciate it. <laughs> well, he had a lot of tunes that were pretty similar to other things, right? But no, oh, he did. He yeah. did covers. They yeah. were they he were did covers. on. Yeah, but yeah, but but again, nonetheless, we had the license, and Google argued with us that we didn't have the license, even though we bought the license, and we proved that we had the license. They said we didn't have the license. Anyway, it's Google. Fun so stuff. Sean, 
unless if you don't have copyright issues, send us some more music. We need it. So, dude, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we went through the five questions from Bob Dole, kind of rapid fire last segment. So got that out of the way. Um, what else is on your mind this morning? You've apparently got lots of questions. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously we see any type of market pullback, you, you do get a lot of questions, and I think that it's you know obviously. We've uh, been talking warranted. about a market pullback for two freaking months. We said, hey, market's overbought. You're going to get a 3 to 5% correction. Well, here you go. It's yeah, an opportunity no. to buy some more. In fact, we bought some more yesterday. Well, but I think you see headline news. You see everything else that's going on. And it is concerning. And you think about where is this actually going? And, and as quick as things materialized this last year, do you continue to see this type of run-up? Or is it a larger, broader pullback? Um, you know, your thoughts have been that this is going to be something that can continue for a bit. Yeah, but a couple months. A couple months. Yeah. Okay. Month, month to two would be completely normal. Yep. And you get a pullback, you know, somewhere to the 50 to 100 day moving average. Which we're at the 50, it, right? We're at the 50. And so you could go to the 100. And it's not the 200 day is not out of the question. That'd be a 10% decline. Oh my gosh, 10%. Completely normal in any given year. We've talked about this before. So, you know, what's happening right now is completely normal. You had five months of an advance. Everybody was all excited about the advance. Well, you got to have a pullback and you have a pullback here so you can have another advance at some point. And so you'll have an advance into the end of the year as uh, portfolio managers play catch up. So, yeah, use the pullback now to buy stuff. So, you know, that's a really good point because I think the frustration for many this year has been that, you know, you may be invested. And if you're in any type of broadly diversified portfolio, you're not keeping up with the broad index just because of what you're talking about. The passive investments, the Magnificent Seven, those big stocks have been doing extremely well. And so as you're trying to step back into something like this, do you go back to those same positions because of that passive investing? Well, no, I, you know, it's, you know, it's never a good idea to chase five stocks. Yeah. Right. Eventually you're going to have a much bigger correction there than you expect. So, so no, um, you know, you continue to build a well-diversified allocated portfolio across sectors and across markets, et cetera. Um, that's why we own some small mid caps. We own large caps in different sectors. And uh, again, you know, you've got to have the Apple, the Microsoft, the Google in your portfolio. You need that. But, you know, there's also other opportunities out there. So when you do get cyclical rotations between sectors, sector rotations, market rotations, et cetera, you have assets that can, you know, kind of pick up and limit, you know, downside drag. So, you know, again, the, the goal is not to have no downside. You're going to, if you're invested in the markets, you're going to have some downside risk. The goal is just to minimize that downside risk some degree. So if the market's down one and you're down half a percent, that's great, right? I mean, that's kind of what you're you're looking for is just, you know, when the markets are down, you're just not losing as much as the market. So again, so a good, you know, well-diversified portfolio that's throwing off some dividend yield and some income, interest income, you know, work. And, and right now we've got some bifurcations going on in markets because of what's happening between, you know, seven, you know, kind of tech stocks, AI related stocks, you know, bonds are under pressure right now, simply as we still kind of work through this inflation narrative, which will eventually go away. Um, you know, and then once bonds get back on on their horse, then you're going to have a very different shift to the markets at that point as well. So again, when interest rates start to come down again, and they will, then you're going to start to have, you know, long duration assets, you know, begin to outperform better uh, as well, just because of the function of lower rates. So again, you know, this is, you know, we're just going through a transition period in the markets over the last year or so. We're getting closer to the end of that than not. So, you know, this isn't the time to be making mistakes. You've got to start kind of thinking ahead of what the next couple of years is going to look like. So, so that's a really good point. It probably leads to a big question and a 
lot of conversation that we're having internally here with with clients is that hey you know I've got funds on the sideline they're sitting in cash or mm-hmm. in money market um, you know money market right now you're getting paid close or over five percent but let's go lock in on a CD or Terrible a idea. short-term bond. Terrible idea. Why do you think that? Because it's going to mature. Well, terrible in, in what instance? Well, if, if it's really short, maybe terrible. And I don't no, know. No, I'm no, not even saying this is like okay. So here, here's what I'm saying: it's like you yeah. got to make you, you when you're investing, you've got to think longer than what's going to happen over the next month, right? This is the biggest problem with investors. They they look at you know what my portfolio did from January till now. That is completely irrelevant to the long term picture of things. Right. You've got to be looking forward and saying, okay, where are things going to be in the next two years, three years, four years? That's what you're investing for. And so if I buy a CD at 5% today, that's great, right? Except stocks are going to beat the crap out of you through the end of the year. And then you're going to be going, well, you know, I've got money locked at 5%. And the market just yanked out 10. You know, why am I in this CD? So you go sell your CD to jump back into stocks right when they're point that they're that they're overbought again. We saw we just saw this happen earlier this year. Remember in January, everybody was buying short duration bills because oh, I can get five percent of my bills, and then they all wanted to sell their bills to jump into stocks because stocks are up fifteen percent. That's what's going to happen. So no, don't go buy. Look, if you've got money that you've got to use in six months or a year for something like down payment for a house, college tuition, buy a car. CDs are awesome for that. So any money that you need a really short-term use for, CDs are awesome. Buy a CD, put it away, forget about it, and then when it matures, go buy your house, whatever it is that you got to do with it. But don't never make a long-term investment decision based on short-term rates because those 5% yields are going to go to zero. It's just a function of when they do, Is it whether it's six months from now, a year from now, or a year and a half from now. But at some point when the Fed cuts rates back to zero, and they will, um, those 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 rates are going to be mature. So here's the problem. So I go put all my money in a CD paying 5% today. Those those CDs are callable. So as soon as yields start to come down, the bank calls you up and says, oh, yeah, we're calling your CD in. And the Fed won't cut rates, you know, by a quarter point here. And then maybe six months later, a quarter point there. And then six months later, a quarter point after that. no. The Fed's going to cut rates from 5% to zero, literally, probably within the function of three or four months. And your CD is going to get called, and your next CD you're going to get is zero. That's going to be how fast it moves when it occurs. So don't lock yourself into something. This is a problem with buying short-term treasury bills. When those bills mature, where are you going to go? Because when yields drop to zero, stocks will be too overvalued to buy. And now you're stuck with really this limbo between I've got no yield on bonds, so the only thing I can do is buy stocks, which are overvalued. That's the risk you're running. Yeah, I mean, I think that reinvestment risk is the biggest risk out there, unless it is truly short-term funds that you're going to need in the not-so-distant future. Yeah, yeah. And you're fearful that you're going to essentially, well, um, you know, you're going to see let, money let, market yields drop look, significantly. Yeah, no, no, look, let's be really clear about this. If you've got money with a short-term need, you do not invest that in stocks, period. End of story. Yeah. Because stocks are risky. I get people email me all the time. It's like, oh, I'm thinking about buying a house. I want it. So where do I invest my money? Cash. You don't you don't put capital at risk that you're going to need for something else because again, you never know what this market do. We literally we could have something happen that nobody's expecting because this is how it happens. It's nothing we expect to occur. It won't be a recession. It won't be anything else. But one morning, we're going to wake up to something, and the market's going to be down 20 30%. And unfortunately, that's going to happen right at the time that you need your capital. 
That's always the way it works. It's just Murphy's Law 101 and how it works in markets. So never, ever, ever invest capital that you need for a short-term thing in the financial markets. Cash, CDs, perfect for that. Don't do anything else. Yeah, I think that's great. So anytime you need short-term funds, this is okay, those CDs. Now, one thing you did mention is those callable CDs. And yep. I think that's one thing that uh, needs to be looked at. So we look at CD rates. We look at bonds, you know, T-bills, look at all of it, and, and try to see what type of spread is different, you know, what it means for somebody, and, and especially within certain time frames. So we are seeing a lot of callable CDs that are paying quite a bit more than what a normal CD that is not callable. And say you want to go out three, four, five years, you may not have that CD for a long period of time. So anytime there's a callable CD, I'm you know, telling most people, hey, you need to look at this as it's going to be called, and maybe it's only a six-month CD or a one-year CD. Because most of the time, if, if this thing goes the way we anticipate it will, and Fed funds rates do drop over time, that short end of the yield curve is going to go down pretty quickly. It's like Lance just mentioned. Yeah. That at that point you face reinvestment risk unless it's you know unless it's really truly short term funds. So you do need to think about is it worth maybe getting a little bit less in yield to have that bond or CD not callable, and you actually can capture that for a much longer period of time. That's right. And look, it's always about opportunity risk, right? You know, if you if you make a decision based on one thing, one factor, you always subject yourself to opportunity risk. Look, I've got cash in accounts that pay zero because I never know from one day to the next when that cash is going to be needed for some investment opportunity. Well, that's dumb. Right? So it's terrible. No, you don't get zero right now. It's too easy. Zero. Too easy to get paid. Zero. Too easy. Don't do it. Be <laughs> right back after the break. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. All right, Danny. Keep going. Danny with questions this morning. He's got lots of questions. He sat around all last night just trying to think up questions. Oh, man. They come fast and furious, especially with volatility. So, yeah. no, it's good. But so. You know, there's a new article out, Lance, and I know that you have you're very you feel have a, a, a strong affinity towards this, and it's <laughs> Social Security. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, they're talking about right now how Social Security cuts are going to be they're going to happen in 2033 at this moment uh, with the current tax receipts that we're receiving, and it'll be a 23 percent discount to what people are receiving or should receive here in the future. Now, my thoughts are is that something will be done, and they're going to have to. The problem is, politically, this is something that most of these guys don't want to address. Right, it's football. Yeah, and we're running out of time, right? You have a 10-year time frame, and the further and the longer you wait, the worse the problem gets. Sure, especially so, when you keep spending the way you're spending. Correct. So what are your thoughts on Social Security being actually taken care of? And well, so so as, as I've said before, you know, it's it's a math problem, Right. So it's a demographic issue. It's yeah. a demographic issue. Yeah. It's, it's a math problem. You've got it's, you had 16 people paying in for every person taken out originally. You're now down to less than two. 
we have a demographic trend. And then, of course, all these policies that we're now promoting in America, you know, across the board doesn't promote demographic growth. Right. We need we need more people at home having babies. If you want a strong economy, you've got to have more babies. And but they won't have them quick enough to put them in the workforce. That well, this, <laughs> this, 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 this is a problem, right? Yeah. This is why it's a math problem. And you can't immigrate your way to solve the problem because the immigration that we have coming in right now is not the, the type of immigration you need to promote a higher income earning class. We need more people paying into Social Security. Yes, and everybody that works will pay into Social Security. So yes, we can immigrate you know, a, a lower end working class. And yes, they'll pay into Social Security, but they pay less because they make less money. So you need more thoughtful higher, immigration, right? You need merit, you know, merit merit based immigration like we used to have, which is come here with money, create jobs, etc., and you get you collect more tax revenue. So we need we need population growth, both Im- immigration wise and population wise. We need to move back towards our generation to where we promoted growing families and that's that's a folks we have more and more young people they are opting out of having kids all together they don't want to get married take a look at you know mar- you know people's views on marriages those are, are declining sharply um, take a look at the number of people that go to church and have faith that's been declining sharply in recent years and and why is that a, the reason that's important is because that's where merit a lot of the the thoughts on marriage come from right if i have a strong belief in faith my belief in faith says i need to be married to my my partner and that I need to be faithful to that person over time, have children, have family, et cetera, create family. That's, you know, that's part of the, of the faith process. Um, but that's what leads to stronger economic growth. And that's the only way, ultimately, that you fix Social Security without having to just slash and burn it entirely, which is the bad outcome that Richard always talks about, talking about people you know, having to step over bodies you know, because people depend so much on Social Security. So it's not an easy fix. And the, and the problem is, is that we messed up Social Security back in the 60s when we started giving it to everybody else other than workers. So, so originally, Social Security well, the was... the program for, just expanded and expanded Right, and expanded. we just kept figuring out more ways to give out more money to more people, widows, orphans, firemen, you know, you name it. And, and every time we turned around, it was like, oh, yeah, well, let's just take this group of disenfranchised people. We'll put them on Social Security or Medicaid. You know, well, when people come in, if they don't have access to stuff, oh, we'll just put them on Medicaid and give it to them. It's fine. I don't have any problem with that, you know, other than the fact we can't afford it and that there's not enough money going into the system to support all the people that are taking out of it. So at some point, it's not fixable. You can't just, you know, tweak it here and say, okay, we're going to raise the retirement age by a couple of years and then go slap a whole nother group of people on it, taking money out of it. That's not going to fix your problem. Well, you've got to shut the door on one side if you're going to continue, if you're going to find a way to fix it on the other. And that's Correct. the problem. But right. so the the issue is so Committee for Responsible Federal Budgets, U.S. Budget Watch 2024 proposal believes that there's going to be a $17,400 average cut for a newly retired dual income couple mm-hmm. in 2033. That's correct. So that's 725 bucks a person. Yep. Now, we know the stats. Over 50% of retirees currently need Social Security or, rec- or use it. For more than 50% of their retirement income. Right. A quarter for 90% of it. I mean, you think about if you had a cut of that, 725 bucks, you want deflation? It's coming. <laughs> I mean, right? Well, this is, but see, this is where we get back to the other, the other problem with this, right? And this is why you see such, you know, rising calls for socialism. You see rising calls for all these other type of programs because so many people are disenfranchised and so many people do need or want more money. And, and, you know, I thought it was a very interesting article out the other day, uh, just 
you know, kind of the talking about this the younger generation that's coming up, right? They they feel disenfranchised, they feel left out. They look at, oh, the rich people, all the baby boomers, they have all the money. I don't have anything. I can't make ends meet. Um, and the article was, is how am I supposed to work a forty hour week when I have to sleep for eight hours? I've got to work for eight what? hours. You have to do how long? Yeah, I got to sleep for eight hours. I have to work for, if I and and I have, if I have to work for eight hours, then how am I supposed to do all the other stuff with the remaining eight hours, right? And you know, I've got to you know wash dishes and clothes and clean my house and and you know do all these things that you know and eat, <laughs> take a bath, and that apparently fills up the entire other eight hours. And this is why there's this this push to work fewer hours, right? I need a thirty-five hour work week. Hmm. Versus 40s, because the the claim was in this article, I can't work. You know, 40 hour work week made sense back in the 60s when the wife stayed home from work. I that was thought that was really interesting that they would make that comment. But when the wife stayed home and took care of all the stuff at home, I could afford to work 80 hours a week. But now that 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 traditional role isn't there, the 40 hour work week makes no more sense. Here's the problem with all of this, though, and this is why everybody says you know, give me more free stuff, is that there's this gap between what we think our lifestyle should be versus what reality says it should be. And we live so far beyond our means, This is, and, and we don't save for retirement, we don't plan mm-hmm. for retirement, we don't do the things that we need to do. And again, the baby boomer generation did. They had 60% of debt to net incomes, they had, they, they had high savings rates, they worked hard, they saved their money, they didn't live extravagantly beyond their means, and they saved this wealth, and they invested it, and they did. They started businesses, and they did these type of things. That's why the wealth is there. We haven't taught the generation that's coming up that's complaining, we haven't taught them to be responsible with money and to take advantage of the opportunities that are there. So that's where this disenfranchisement has really come. And again, it's not just their fault. It's the Fed's fault. It's zero interest rates for 13 years. It's one monetary intervention after another. It's sending checks to households. It's all the things that we've done that have really just distorted the way the economy works. But, you know, at some point, Danny, if you're going to fix Social Security as a function, you've also got to fix the economy at the same time. Because they're part and parcel of each other. No, no, no. Uh, Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. Now, there are ways to fix Social Security. I mean, we can remove the cap on how much income is taxed. I mean, they've talked about that in the past mm-hmm. with different bills, you know, removing and saying, okay, at this amount, we're going to cut it off. But then at 300, 400,000, we're going to start capping or we're going to start no, taxing it think, again. I just think you got to take the limit off. You just take it off altogether. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I think that's what most people, especially on the more high income earners frustration is they're like, wait, proportionally, I pay in so much more than somebody else yet. I get the same I'm not amount. getting the same proportionate amount. I mean, they're getting more, but not by proportion. That's what's right. frustrating, I think, to a lot of people. No, it, it is, and you know this. And the, but this is also the other misnomer of Social Security. It's not your money. The money you pay in for Social Security is for everybody for people else. Yeah, yeah. It's not your money. There's not an account with Danny Ratliff's name on it. That says, okay, Danny paid in a million dollars in Social Security over his lifetime, so he's got a million dollars to draw on in retirement. Maybe that's the way we should set it up, but. That's not the way it works. The million dollars that Danny paid in over his lifetime is paying for all the other people in the system. That's why it's called welfare. It's well, a welfare this is, this system. Is, this is not considered welfare. It system. is welfare. It is a function when the well, it's government a Ponzi scheme is when, what it truly is. I mean, there, I mean, it is. But when the government honest. gives people money, it's welfare. It's a welfare system, and that's why it's entitled. That's why it's called an entitlement. 
Yeah, but you're actually putting those funds in over time, right? So it's not your it's typical not your welfare. money. It's everybody else's money. But you put m- your money in, so they're, you, you don't yes. think they're tracking those dollars? They don't. How do you yes, think they, they come up with these the, numbers? Yes, they track those numbers. They track how much Danny put in, but it's not your money. It's everybody else's money. Well, correct. It's, I'm not getting my physical dollar back. It's not an account in my name correct. or your name. And that's why and you're going to get... Oh, Jesus. I just realized I'm going to be paying for you. <laughs> exactly. Good Lord. And that's why I'm retiring soon. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> I'm going to claim Social Security early just to piss you off. <laughs> Plan looks terrible. And you, you're setting all kinds of bad examples. You have a money in an account earning absolutely nothing to... Because I use it day it. to day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Every hey, day. Hey, day to day, that's fine. But yes. yeah. Any other any other cash yeah, sitting I'm on the sideline? I'm talking about very small yeah, your amounts of money. Checking account, okay. Yes. Yeah, it's just because I never know when there's an opportunity I want to take advantage of. Yeah, I get that. That's yeah. fine. And keep it at Fidelity and earn four point nine eight. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no problem. Any other uh, things you got? About twenty seconds before we wrap up the show. Well, I think we can say this for next week, but I was at a wedding this weekend. I visited with a bankruptcy attorney. Sam, that was really great. And I thought this was, <laughs> no, but I thought this was really interesting. We were talking about like his business and like COVID, how it impacted him. And he said that he was super busy with small businesses as COVID hit. And then it slowed down. He said, summer months are typically pretty slow, but they had picked up. He's like, this is the busiest summer I've ever seen. And I don't know if it's just the guy's gained more popularity, he's got a good reputation, or is this something bigger? No, I, I, look, a lot of, the, you know, people are spending money. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, retail sales just showed you that, I know. right? So there, there's just a lot of money in that they're, they're still out there from the elevated savings rates we had post. And this is why I keep saying that, you know, this recession everybody's expecting, it's going to come eventually someday. But it may be a lot further out there than a lot of people expect. This kind of expecting that we're going to have a recession next month, next quarter. It may be a lot further out there than you think. Yeah. So, all right. Wrap up the show for the day. Um, <laughs> so many things I want to say to Danny. Anyway, <laughs> wrap up the show for the day. We'll be back tomorrow with Michael Go ahead Lewis. and take Social Security. You'll still be working. <laughs> you won't get anything. I know. I just want you to pay for it. Uh, wake up with Michael Leibowitz tomorrow. Talk about the Fed minutes. They come out today. We'll get into those tomorrow, of course. Get by the website. Michael Leibowitz's new article out is on the website now. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.